Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking on Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. My guest on this episode of the show coming back to join us is the president of the United Federation of Teachers, the UFT, the New York City Teachers Union, Michael Mulgrew. He's here to discuss a couple of most pressing topics that the teachers union is focused on right now. At the top of the list, one, contract negotiations with New York City and the administration of Mayor Eric Adams, and two, the proposal from Governor Kathy Hochul in her executive budget plan for next state fiscal year that would raise the cap on largely non-unionized charter schools in New York City. So we're getting into those issues and a bit more here on this episode with Michael Mogru, the president of the United Federation of Teachers. For a little more background, the last contract that the United Federation of Teachers approved with the city was under the de Blasio administration back in 2018. It went through September 2022, so the UFT is now operating with an expired contract for several months here and in negotiations with the Adams administration. This discussion and those negotiations are coming as Mayor Adams and one of the city's other biggest municipal labor unions, District Council 37, otherwise known as DC 37, announced a tentative contract agreement in February of this year, just a couple weeks ago on the 17th, that if approved by DC 37, the larger union, will set what's called the pattern for the other labor unions in the city to settle their expired or nearly expired contracts, whatever the case may be. That applies to things like raises and benefits and health care. But there are, of course, many, many details, including some of the specifics around those raises and health care issues and some of the other big ticket items that are still up for negotiation with the specific union. New York City abides through the Municipal Labor Committee that combines uh, the city's labor unions, abides by pattern bargaining where the negotiations in this case between DC 37 and the city will dictate very closely a lot of those big picture items for the other unions. Now, this is a tentative agreement. The rank and file of DC 37 have to approve that tentative agreement. And then negotiations will continue on with some of the other labor unions in the city, including the United Federation of Teachers. But there's a lot to dig into because, of course, the labor unions are all very different. Their working conditions are different. Their concerns of their members are different. So we're getting into a lot of that with Michael Mulgrew here on the show today as we dig in on contract negotiations with the city, what's on the minds of his many tens of thousands of members, other related education issues, and then thrown into the mix here, this proposal by Governor Hochul, a state budget is due by April 1st, so just a month away. Governor Hochul's proposal came a little bit out of nowhere to raise the charter school cap in New York City, which has been hit, although she did express support for raising that cap during her one general election debate with Representative Lee Zeldin. Otherwise, the governor hasn't really talked about charter schools in her tenure. I'm not sure she talked about it much as lieutenant governor. 
former Governor Andrew Cuomo was very supportive of charter school and charter school expansion. And that is one of his lasting legacies, in fact, in the education space was that he pushed and oversaw the expansion of charter schools in New York, especially in New York City. Governor Hochul did not include the expansion of charter schools in her state of the state policy agenda, but then it was included in her executive budget plan. She hasn't really talked about it a lot, but when she's been asked about it, she said things like she never understood why there was a sub cap for New York City within the larger statewide cap and that she believes in scaling up all good schools, not really fully addressing a lot of the issues around charter school expansion and the criticism. Anyway, it's been met with a lot of resistance in the state legislature. We are now getting into crunch time of state budget negotiations, and it will be one of the most interesting issues to watch. The UFT president, Michael Mogrew, and his union are, as many people listening probably know, opposed to the expansion of charter schools in New York and New York City, largely because they have issues with the way many charter schools are run, largely because charter schools are almost exclusively non-unionized. And we will get Michael Mogrew's perspective right now on that, as well as how he thinks Mayor Eric Adams and New York City Schools Chancellor David Banks are doing a little over one year into their tenure and much more. Michael Mogrew in just one moment. First, if you missed any recent episodes of the show, you can find them all at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts. And we have them all at the Gotham Gazette site. I've had some really interesting conversations in recent weeks and months with a whole bunch of great guests, including several of the city's borough presidents. I've recently spoken with former assembly member, Keith Wright about black political power in New York. I spoke with two expert journalists to really get a deeper understanding of everything going on with the arrival of tens of thousands of asylum seekers in New York City, including really good insights into their experiences and the federal laws at play and what's going on there. I had a really good conversation with Eric Goldwyn of NYU, who is a co-author of a major new study on why it costs so much more to build the subways in New York City than it does to build rail transit anywhere else in the world, and a whole bunch of other great guests, elected officials, advocates, experts, and others. So check those out at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette site. And of course, at GothamGazette.com, you can find all of our reporting, which is our bread and butter here uh, on New York City State and politics. And I'm happy to welcome back to the show, United Federation of Teachers President, Michael Mulgrew. Michael Mulgrew, thanks for joining me. How are you today? Good. How are you, Ben? Thanks for having me. I'm doing all right. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, taking the time. So we're speaking here as February is ending and March is about to begin. Um, the mayor recently making an announcement with District Council 37 on a tentative contract agreement that will obviously inform the contract agreement with other unions like yours, the UFT, the city's teachers union. Uh, so wh where does that leave you when there's a tentative agreement with a DC 37? Mm -hmm. Explain for the general uh, listenership, including your, your members, where exactly that leaves the UFT and what happens next in your negotiations? So here in uh, New York City, New York State, patent bargaining is the phrase that governs these uh, uh, each round of bargaining. So what happens is if they, it can't just be a small union, but if a, a large number, a union with a large number of members uh, sets uh, comes to a contract agreement, and it's ratified, then that sets the pattern for all the other unions. Now, it, we don't 
what you're looking at right now, people are looking at the numbers, the threes and a three and a quarter at the end, but I'm sure there's other value inside of the contract. And we're going to have to take that apart. That's a process called uh, costing. And we're going to have to take that apart and see what that means. Uh, You know, there have been years where the UFT has fought uh, very hard to try to break the patent and we have not been able to do it. And then there's been other years where, um, the city has tried to not give us the patent and we have used the law to protect it. So it goes both ways. Um, but what it sets up now is if DC 37 ratifies this contract, that will basically be the patent moving forward. But there are ways to create value inside of any contract um, by doing different things and shifting uh, different things around. But, you know, we have a Actually, this afternoon, my 500 member negotiating committee is coming in to talk about our next steps on this issue. I I saw I saw that number again, 500 uh, member negotiating committee. I said, whoa, that's that's a big that's a big negotiating committee. How do you handle that? The size of that? Uh, I know you obviously you have so many thousands of members to you know get input from. So you need a lot of uh, uh, people who can get that uh, input. But how does that go with such a big uh, committee? Well, the the big general decisions that affect us all, we all vote on, Uh, but we have, you know, over 30 titles that work inside of the Department of Ed and the world has changed. The world of work has changed. Mm -hmm. So working conditions, what teachers are dealing with, with uh, guidance counselors, occupational therapists, physical therapists, uh, social workers and psychologists, their world of work has changed dramatically. And we need to be able to allow them to do the work that we've hired them to do. You know, so that's really a big emphasis in this round because um, the the wasting of time, the non-relevance of the work is what's driving us nuts. You know, you hired me to teach. You hired me to give uh, physical therapy to children. Why am I spending 70 percent of my time either being on trainings or on a computer filling out paperwork when I know how to do I know how to write up the report. I used to do it fine, but now it takes all of this time and I have less time to actually care for children. And that's really what's uh, frustrating teachers here in New York City. But actually, it's frustrating teachers across the entire country. Let's come back to that in just a minute. But in terms of the the tentative D.C. 37 agreement and how it affects your union and your members, were you um frustrated that DC 37 seems to have gone first to set the pattern? Did you want to be in that uh, position? How how did that go? Obviously, Mayor Adams has had a close relationship with DC 37. Um, I don't know if that's part of what's at play. Um, But but how how do you feel about that? As you're getting at, there's key pieces of the pattern bargaining in terms Mm -hmm. of the um, the wage increases and some of the other big uh, picture items that are part of it. But then you get into lots of other details that are specific to your professions right. um, within your negotiations with the city. But they're setting a certain pattern, especially around um, the wages and benefits and such. But how did you you know, what do you think of, of DC 37 going first and where they landed on some of these big picture items? We, we were pretty clear they were going to go before us because they've been out of a contract for almost 20 months now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've only been out of our contract uh, ended at the, in the middle of September. So we're, we're you know, there's a there's five months for us and 20 months for them. So we figured that the last two rounds of bog, two rounds ago, we set the patent. The last time it was us and DC 37 simultaneously setting the patent. Um, uh, so this time we assumed it would be DC 37. I mean, but there have been unions out uh, very, there's some, there's one union out almost 12 years right now. Um, 
which I think the city should try to fix. It's the <laughs> people who work on the ferry boats. Yeah. Uh, but, but for, you know, and the mayor's proposal in all of his budget was a 1.25% raise, which is ridiculous. Um, there's and that was like a budget placeholder to, to yeah. you know, as a negotiating ploy of sorts, right? And we were clear that we would do no health savings in this round. We were, we uh, we said enough with that. We've done what we needed to do. Uh, there will be no health savings in this round or guaranteed health savings because that was never really. It was always supposed to be about we'll work together as a city and a workforce to get the best deals we possibly can for healthcare because we know that's a big part of everyone's compensation package. So you know, I'm I'm, I'm very happy for DG37. They seem to be very happy with it. And I, God bless to them. Now we have to work inside of it and we'll figure it out. So that was taken off the table and is, and is remaining off the table, a discussion absolutely. around healthcare savings. Yes, absolutely. There was a, there was a very, um, there was a meeting between the MLC leadership and the mayor and his leadership. And it was very, and we're like that, that has to come off the table or all negotiations stop. And the mayor rightfully said, uh, you know, we, we, we got to work together. We all got to work together. Given the immense costs of healthcare, is that is that good for New Yorkers and you know the broader New York taxpayer to to take the the idea of mandatory healthcare savings off the table? I mean, that sounds because it's two different. It's different here because when we first started working together on healthcare, that was a different model. You, you're not going to find that anywhere. What you'll normally see is a municipality or an employer uh, negotiating with an insurance company and a medical provider. And in the end, they come up with a number and they just pass it on to the employees, which really is not working out well for the employees, right? It's just not working out well for employees because these folks don't have a vested interest in trying to do, you know, cut a hard bargain with them or holding their feet to the fire. So I'm, I am very, uh, I'd much rather have us at the table doing that work because for us, it's the everyday livelihood and uh, ability for our members to have the health care they deserve. So we are absolutely proud that we're at that table and we do some hard nosed negotiations. And at the hospitals in New York City have to deal with us. The insurance companies, everyone has to deal with us. If and you're saying you, you, Albany, you do hard nosed negotiations to try to reduce costs. Yes, and get good Absolutely. coverage while reducing costs, but you wanted to take off mandatory savings as part of the deals yeah, reached with the city. Because at a certain point, what would happen if it's mandatory is the city, some people inside of the administration, you know, Office of Labor Relations, Office of Management of Budget, but would just say, you know, we've heard this for years because this is not, you know, before we had this agreement, we had a mayor who kept saying, well, everybody pays a large percentage of their premium. These people are prima donnas. Well, that's not, well, he didn't understand that we actually were paying for it through different rounds of negotiations. So mm -hmm. he never got it. It was you're, just a you're, you're referring back to Bloomberg, I assume? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know. If, I didn't, I don't remember de Blasio saying those things. So I want to make no, sure. No, de Blasio was the one who actually we <laughs> yeah. sat down with and said, why don't we do something yeah. different? Why don't we all work together to really tell hospitals? And I, I could go into it. It would probably mm -hmm. make most people's eyes bleed. But, right. you know, what? when a hospital's upcoding every patient that comes in, yeah, we go talk to them, you know, because uh, that, that costs us a lot of money. When you're, you know, when you're overcharging for a certain test, uh, 
we will go right out and go uh, have a conversation with all of these things. If there's bills up in Albany, we're working together. There's bills up in Albany right now that hospitals advocating for and we're lobbying hard against. And that's all the unions in New York City are doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. the difference. Because we're like, you make your money because I don't think most people understand hospital costs across the country in 10 years have gone up 40 percent. New York City's gone up 70 Right. 70. And I I see all of the CEOs, compensation packages Mm -hmm. and bonuses and all the different things that are filed. They're doing fine. The 3% annual raises in the in the tentative DC 37 agreement with three and a quarter percent, as you mentioned, in the final year. Um, that's a retroactive contract. As you mentioned, it's been expired. You're now working under a expired contract that will we assume, of course, be retroactive when you agree to a, a new one with the city. How do you feel about those 3%? Um, obviously, in accumulation, including uh, them being retroactive, you have your members being able to sort of make up for some of the challenges with the cost of living increases that everybody's been dealing with through inflation, especially that have been even more uh, than usual. Is that three percent per year number satisfactory uh, to you and and your members? No, or not what do you expect? Satisfactory. No, <laughs> uh-huh. it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, because I believe that the people who kept this city afloat during the pandemic, who went to work when all their bosses were staying home, uh, who opened the schools when the Department of Ed's whole bureaucratic hierarchy stayed home, I believe they deserve much better than that. You know, mm-hmm. so that's always going to be my position. And it's the right thing to do. In the end, I always I feel, you know, and I get labeled all sorts of things. In the end, I feel that the people who are actually supplying the work, uh, the people and for my profession, working with the children should be the people with the highest compensation. Now, that's not the way our world works, but that's how I feel. Uh, and I know that DC 37 was trying to do what they could do to really help their folks. Uh, some people are telling us, you know, 3% compounded over five years equals 17%, this, this, that. I said, I, I, I listen. In the end, I think that teachers should be the highest, one of the highest paid professions in the United States, and I, tr- I'll stand by that, and I believe it. Mm-hmm. But you're negotiating with the city, obviously, and then there's yeah. a lot of things. But what, but was that a very was that a very charged discussion at the leadership of the municipal labor c- committee when when those decisions were being made? Because as we discussed, pattern bargaining. I mean, the three percent is going to be basically what the pattern is if that's approved by dc 37 every is union that- negotiates on their own and mm-hmm. as unions we're very respectful of other unions negotiations that's okay. what it is um mm-hmm. and that's how if not then the mlc wouldn't be able to function as an uh, you know as a, a group of people trying to work together right. but there were constant conversations about what was going on the healthcare was the big piece that everyone was in complete agreement had to come off the table Okay. Now, as you get into the next uh, levels of the UFT discussions with the Adams administration, what is at the top of the UFT agenda in the specifics of a, of a new contract? I can't what? go into the specifics because mm-hmm. we have a 500 negoci- member mm-hmm. negotiating committee. We all say that we will not talk about the specifics because that would not be the smartest thing for us to do being out there publicly talking about what are the things. But well, the main piece yeah. of field. Uh, I was just going to say broad topics. Access to more funding. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stop wasting our time. We want want training that's relevant to what we're being asked to do. We want the elimination of ridiculous amounts of paperwork. Paperwork's only added on. It's never taken off. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
uh, I'd like to have everybody who works in Tweed actually spend a week at a time in school so they can see we actually do. I will tell you that our, our committee is quite astounded at, at moments about the people across the table not knowing what actually is a functioning or how a school functions. Uh, but overall, it's really about we want to be compensated fairly. And we also want to be able to, we want a profession that supports the work that we've been that we came here to do, not to support silliness or micromanagement stuff or power trips or all of that. We want everything to be focused on the work that we're trying to do with the children. Mm -hmm. That's it. Because this profession has gotten way out of whack with all of the other stuff. And all the other stuff comes back to the paperwork you're describing. Is it about um, issues with uh, chain of command and bureaucracy? Are there things, you know, that are, you either... name it, we got it all. And, you know, it was <laughs> funny because both the mayor and the chancellor, both, you know, when they were coming into office, kept talking about how the bureaucracy of the DOE was the enemy of the children. Yes, mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> so so you now know, it's time to put up something about this, you know, and, and there's other things, you know, we, we need every school in New York city shouldn't be doing, creating, uh, having to, figure everything out on their own. You know, mm -hmm. what you know, literacy is a major component of all education. Mm -hmm. we, we should have some standardized cur curriculums that we know are going to work. And then this way we can align our trainings to them. So this way we don't get what the teachers call the fly-by-night training. You cut, people come into a training and leave, and it has nothing to do with anything they're being asked to do. But guess what? We had to sit for an hour and a half and watch this. And it just, it, it angers them because it's like, this isn't healthy. You know, in the end, the teacher, anyone who walks into a school wants to go in and say at the end of the day, I really helped children today. And they don't want to leave frustrated because half the time they had to waste, half their time they have to waste doing all of this other stuff that's irrelevant, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, this is something I, before you even mentioned that I was going to say that Mayor Adams, Chancellor Banks, I mean, Mayor Adams has talked about this throughout city government, specifically related to the Department of Education, but well beyond we've been covering things related to capital construction and all sorts of things where he's trying to reduce, uh, you know, red tape and bureaucracy and streamline things and move things forward. So that's obviously a major focus for you uh, in, in these negotiations. You did uh, uh, 32,000 UFT members replied to an online bargaining poll. I'm looking at something that was posted at the UFT website um, last year in the summer of 2022. Is there anything we haven't mentioned that came back in the results of that that you want to make sure is is you know people know about? No, that no, those are, it, it, it's really about support my work or leave me alone and get rid of the stuff that has nothing to do with it. And I want to be able to take care of my family financially. And the other thing is that, you know, and this is not a subject of, bar, you know, really part of bargaining, but it's really a city thing. With the biggest, one of the biggest challenges we're now having is housing. I wanted to ask you about that. And, and about Huge. it's a big challenge. You know, how many two bedroom apartments got four teachers living in them? Uh, housing is a big problem. It's a big challenge. Workforce housing has become, you know, a massive challenge. And I don't know how the city is ever going to really get back and moving in the right direction if the people who work and keep the city moving and, and keep the children being educated can't afford to live here. Well, and to be frank, as far as I can tell, that's also perhaps one of the top drivers of 
the enrollment decreases of students as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the challenges of families to afford living in the city seems, you know, seems to be driving at least some significant number elsewhere, whether it's New Jersey or, or Bam. So in, in saying that, does do, should we take it that you or the UFT is supportive of the affordable housing agenda, broadly speaking, that the governor and yep. the mayor have put forward? Yep. But, but as I've told them, we've supported housing for years, affordable housing for years. We've been a major driver in it. Uh, but now we're like now we're past the tipping point where we also need uh, housing that for 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 the teachers. We need housing for police and fire. Unless you're a family that's been here a couple of generations and the house has passed on, you're going to have a hard time buying anything if, if you're a, a civil servant in New York City. And and that's a big you, it, the ramifications of that long term are, can be quite devastating. Mm, indeed. Um, are there things that you can share that the city that the Adams administration is bringing to you and saying, we want these changes in this next contract? Are there major sticking points on the city side that they're bringing to you and saying, hey, we want to look at, you know, Tenure and teacher evaluations. I'm just giving a, a high profile example, of course. Uh, we did but, that for 15 years. I, Everyone's sick of it. <laughs> I know. No, I know. Um, that's part of the reason I bring it as an example. Maybe they want to bring it back. Everything comes back around. But yeah. um, but are there things coming from the Adams administration your way that are important, high profile things to note? I'll, I'll just say overall, and I don't want to put them just in negotiations. Overall, my conversations with the chancellor, are, he wants to start uh, really building things that actually are going to help support teachers and schools doing the work with kids. He wants to support a heavy duty literacy program that he knows is working and, you know, aligning training to it and moving that out. Uh, We're both organizations are extreme believers in career and technical education. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, uh, and, and thankfully I saw today that um, the secretary of commerce, uh, Romando, put out the uh, chips, the chips program for microchips. And in it, she put that uh, creating a workforce starting in high schools. You know, New York State is mm-hmm. could be on the verge right now, becoming one of the major chip manufacturers in the United States with Micron and Syracuse. Right. They're going to need 5,000 engineers as well as coders and all of this other stuff. Wouldn't it be nice if they actually all came from the city and state of New York? Uh is, the, is there a, a big concession that the city is asking for from you at this point? Is there something that you're going to be taking to your uh, negotiating committee to say, hey, here's the big thing they're asking, you know, as a give back or something, you know, from, yeah, from no, us? No, you know, I, I can't say if there is or isn't. And uh, but all I'm going to say is um, any sort of thing that would be considered any sort of a give back would be looked on uh in a very, very bad light, especially since what we've done on behalf of the city uh, throughout this pandemic. How does the notion of hybrid or remote work play in here for, uh, you know, a union where everybody's got to be in the building pretty much every day? I mean, how does that factor into this conversation? It's interesting because we, you know, we had, we've had a remote program since for five years before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So what we were doing is supplying classes for high school students that they would not normally have access to inside of their school building. We only have so many physics teachers. We only have so many AP teachers. So it was really about how do we give opportunity to schools that don't have those teachers? So that program's actually been quite successful. 
but when you're talking about the hybrid that, uh, or re- virtual instruction, most people now go back to what we did during the pandemic. Um, we have two pilot programs, what we started this year. Uh, one is uh, fully remote, that the children don't come to the school building, and one is a hybrid, where they come in a couple of days and not. And I need, I, I wish, I, you know, I've talked to the, some of the folks out there, but I need to go out and actually, uh, I want to go out to the one school this next week, probably, and actually take a look at it, because we have to figure out what's working and not working. And there's always going to be things that don't work. And we can't be afraid of that. We have to be able to recognize it. Uh, but there are things that are working and talk about how we're going to move forward with that. Um, high school students, it, 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 it's a little bit, the challenges are a little bit less because they can do much more work on their own. Um, so you do it more as a, um, you know, you do it in units of study or project-based learning or things of that nature. Um, so we're looking at all of this. I do think we should con- continue the program that gives access to uh, a l- all of the opportunity classes that not every school has. I think we should mm-hmm. continue that, if not grow it more. Um, but then we're at the infancy right now of virtual instruction and how to make it work or not work. Uh, but we learned a lot. That was one of the good things in the pandemic. We learned a hell of a lot of during it. And we have some really good practices. We had a lot of teachers who struggled, schools that struggled, and yet we had others who really were able to develop really good practices. And it, it's interesting because it's a different style of instruction. It, it's, it's not saying like if you're a great teacher in person, that does not necessarily mean you're going to be a great teacher online. No. Mm-hmm. But we have teachers online who really folks in their, you know, in their schools really want, didn't see them before. Now, all of a sudden online, they're a whole different type of instructor. Mm-hmm. Are there ways in which you have members who want to fight for more uh, ability to work from home in some way? Uh, you know, whether it's maybe it's some of the subsections of some of the you know folks you mentioned, the different titles, uh, re- you know, regular classroom teachers can be pretty difficult, although, as you say, some people can, you know, have have developed skills at teaching from anywhere and they can do it, you know, engage in an engaging way through the through the screen. But, um, you know, I'm thinking about certain therapists or social workers or others, you know, obviously telemedicine has has grown mm-hmm. during the pandemic even more. Are there uh, mem- members or are you thinking about this potentially in a way at all to be able to recruit more you know, social workers and others that potentially could have some sort of that hybrid? That is something I see you, you, you just hit the, the nail on the head there. This Recruiting? is a, the recruitment. <laughs> yeah. Right. So teaching itself right now is not having a large recruitment through virtual work, but so a lot of the other titles. If we, you know, and then at first when the pandemic first started, it was, oh, you can't do therapy do- over online. Well, we figured that one out quick. Okay. <laughs> that yeah. one got figured out quickly. And since we have a shortage of all of the titles you were just talking about, of uh, therapists, psychologists, social workers, um, they would just be happy. The ones who are thankfully working here in the system right now, they would just be happy if they could just have a, a computer system that made it easy to put their reports in. But the ability to do some of this work from Uh, in a virtual setting would help us probably attract more. Just think about this right now. Uh, The the people who evaluate children in case they have some challenges. So today it's snowed, right? But it wasn't a snow day. We don't, you know, we really have snow days anymore, but today it's snowed. So say if we had a foot of snow, 
right now the city mandates that because those people are not part of a school, they have to go to work. Just, just think about this. So they would spend the day or call out or call out. They would call out or spend the day trying to get to their office where no children are coming. Just because the city says they will not allow people, those folks who aren't in schools, not to show up for work. So no children would be evaluated. Someone's going through the snow or they're calling out sick. But if you allowed them to work virtually, they'd actually do all the evaluations that were planned that day. See, so there's like it's how do you change the mind frame of management who for years just thinks, you know, I, I'll never forget when we were doing some work on healthcare costs. So some agencies, you know, they have complete mistrust of their workers. So they would make them for any day they called out sick, they would make them get a doctor's note. Just to think about it. this, is the city's this was some of the agency's policy. You had to have an official doctor's note. So where were most people going? You call up your primary care, you can't get the appointment. They were walking into an emergency room to get a doctor's note. So the doctor's note was costing the city four to $5,000 in healthcare costs because the agency wouldn't you know, treat their workers respectfully and professionally. Mm-hmm. Time to adapt. Time yeah. to adapt. Uh, since we only have about five more minutes together, I want to make sure to get to um, other than contract negotiations, probably other you know biggest high profile item uh, being debated and that your union is is most involved with. And that's the governor's proposal to raise the New York City charter school cap. Um, charter schools, of course, are almost exclusively non-union. Uh, and so yeah, the UFT has been a, a longstanding opponent of charter school growth. Uh, say a little bit about what you're trying to do to defeat this proposal, why it's uh, something of an existential fight for you, and why you think the governor uh, took this position. So, so first, it's really about the corporate charters. Uh, we actually work with uh, the smaller charters. Uh, we have over 20 of them who are organized, and they, they understand, and they're trying to do work. They, you know, this is, they, they'll have one or two charters and nothing. Most of them are just single charters. Uh, it's the corporate charters. We're trying to the, the, uh, net, the big networks, yes. the big networks. They are definitely corporate charters who, okay. you know, they, they they tell everyone they have a 98 percent graduation rate. But 50 percent of the kids that started are gone. I don't know how that's a 98 percent graduation rate. You know, it was 98 percent on the day of graduation. Only two kids didn't graduate. Yeah, but you lost 50. Well, 50 percent disappeared. So where'd they go? You know, so I, that's really the issue for us is the fairness and the equity. And because. As an educator, your job isn't to weed out kids with challenges. Your job is to educate all children. And the ones with the challenges are really where the hard work is. And, and that's, if you don't have that in your, soul, in, your, in your DNA, in your soul, in your heart, then for me, you shouldn't be in education. So they, that is clearly what they are doing. And they're big money people. They are backed by billionaires uh, with an agenda. Usually it's real estate. I do a lot of work outside of New York State uh, for national work. Usually it's a real estate agenda or an online learning agenda platform. That's where there seems to be now. And we're not until we get real equity and fairness with these folks or until they start accepting all children and coming up with plans to help service, uh, help educate those children instead of just throwing them out, uh, then we're going to fight with them. Uh, And it's just really that simple. We're just they're 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 not in education for all children. But your issue also is about 
the workforce, right? I mean, this is about, I mean, this is also about the fact that they are not union, they're not a unionized workforce and you think that's bad for the overall teacher workforce. Is that, I mean, is that a correct? Yeah, look, I, I, I believe every, everybody who works should have access to a union. I, I believe that. And I always will, because it's clear. It's, it's, it's not just me. It's, it's shown if you're part of a union, you'll be treated better than if you're not overall. So that's something I do believe in, but this really is about, uh, this is about the profession of education. Um, if you're not taking children with special needs, as I said, if a child is a disruption in the classroom and you just keep suspending them so that they are at home all times until the parent signs them out, uh, that's the type of behavior that we should never have inside of education. Why do you think the governor took this up? You know, she didn't have to. Uh, this is not something she needed to put in her platform. In fact, she didn't have it in her state of the state agenda. It wound up in her executive budget. Mm -hmm. There were other things that got added at that point too, obviously, but um, this doesn't seem like it's a long-term passion for her. It's, it seems different than even Andrew Cuomo's former pretty strong support for charter school growth. Any insight into what happened here and why? Look, it, uh, look this is, look, it's politics. It's, it's politics. They have a powerful lobbying firm, very powerful people, but, you know, and they don't like us. Uh, you know, you see, I've seen, uh, you know, the the very the conservative part of our country when it comes to education have pulled, pulled this as a parent's choice issue. Uh, but really, in the end, it's about just privatizing all public education. And I think they're tone deaf because no matter what state you go into, a parent only wants a really good local public school. That's the majority, overwhelming majority. That's what they want. So there's agendas involved here. Uh, it's part of her budget proposal. Uh, we'll see what the Senate and the Assembly does. But I will say that the governor, you know, it was, it was a little surprising, to say the least, because between last year, which was probably the best education budget we've ever seen, not just overall dollars, which was there, but also real policy issues, as well as, again, this year. She's had really strong support for public education. And it's a shame now because now, all the educators and the communities want to talk about this charter issue and all of the good work that she's done and can, it seems to want to continue to do for public schools. Nobody's talking about it. And, you know, so that's that was her decision. What's your sense of where this winds up? Because the governor has a lot of power in the budget process. You know, but there is uh, there is a lot of opposition in the state legislature. There is a lot of opposition in the state legislature. A lot of it comes to the fact that we have two chartering entities. We're the only state with two chartering entities and all the corporate, you know, heavy, big chains. They go to one. They go to the SUNY Charter Institute to get whatever they want. Uh, and we have a lot of legislation. Remember, it's 25 year old law. Most of the things that we are now talking about that are problematic are, are things that nobody envisioned that a group of schools would try to do not taking children with special needs, not taking homeless children, uh, trying to say that, oh, yes, I put in for a K to five school, but now every school is K to 12. So basically every charter is three schools. Uh, nobody envisioned that when this law was passed, giving them more and more tuition. The, the, um, the super, um, superintendent of uh, the Buffalo school system gave a speech about 40% of his budget is going to charter tuition. He says, I'm taking away from the public schools now at a rate I never thought. None of that was imagined 25 years ago when that law was passed. So we say, we'll talk about it. But first, we got to stop. We, all of this has to be undone, especially what I can, which I consider to be the worst law that New York City 
has to supply free space or pay for the rent. No other school district has to do that. And when you take into consideration the fact that the charter school tuition for each student account or they're, they're already being paid for facilities. Um, I'm going to throw three very quick ones at you, just quick answers, and I'll, I'll let you best. go. Um, and no, I, I, I could I could keep going for a while, but I want to respect your time. I got to get you out of here. So um, does the UFT support this push uh, through a state legislative bill to have Diwali added to the school calendar? Uh, where, where are you at on that? We all we've said is that we support any of the holidays, but you got to figure it out because right now New York City has the longest school year from start to end of any school district. Um, and we have embraced all of these holidays. We do not. We're not going to extend the school year. They would fl- the bill would flip it with Brooklyn Queens Day. So you'd be right. you'd be supportive of that. We're, we're, that we are supportive of that at this point. That's the and I don't see any other day that you can get at this point. Sure. And. Um, is there any one COVID related measure that's still on your agenda? Air purifiers, you know, things like that. Are there any, uh, you know, COVID and, and the larger issue of respiratory illness and school, you know, health in that way? Is there any one thing on that that's still very much sort of top of mind for you and your members that you're looking to improve upon or, you know, get in terms of the contract negotiations or anything like that? You know, I know teachers have brought up the issue of the quality of the air purifiers. That's just one example. Yeah. You know what what we what we want to do is make sure that every school really this is going to sound ridiculous when I said has uh, has clean air and clean water. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. what it's became very, very, it's a big deal for us. Yeah. And uh, we got a lot, the city okay. has a way to go on that. And I'll leave you on this one. Um, overall, this first uh, year plus here, Mayor Adams, Chancellor Banks, general grade you'd give them in terms of how they have approached the UFT, how you feel about their communication, their outreach, their consideration of you and your members. Overall, what grade would you give the Adams administration? You know, I, I, I've never graded a mayor or a chancellor. I'm not going to start now, but this is what I will say. Uh, we had great cooperation when they first came, when the mayor first came out getting the schools open. That was one of the toughest months uh, we've ever had that January. Um, and but, uh, you know, from that point, the, the chancellor ha- is someone I like personally. And I know he has really it does care about the children. But the biggest challenge he has is the bureaucracy and who's going to win him or the bureaucracy. Okay. And I think he knows that. And coming back to how he started his tenure and uh, some of what we discussed on the contract negotiations. All right. Thank you. I kept you a little longer than I said. I apologize. I appreciate the time. Uh, Michael Mulgrew, president of the UFT. Uh, next time we talk, we'll get into implementing the class size law and some other things I didn't get to here. But thanks very much for the time. Thank you, Max. Be well, okay? All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.